Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. As you get older, you just start to learn more about yourself. And the big goal is to learn about yourself so you can be more true to yourself, so that you can live more intentionally and be that version of yourself that's more authentic, because I feel like that's where you make your most impact. And in a funny way, that's what this whole project has been about, is about coming back to who you truly are. And I didn't realize this when we started this, but in the beginning, I got depressed because I think I wasn't living the life I wanted. I was living the life I thought others expected of me or or what I thought others wanted for me. And so my bucket list was a roadmap. It was a reminder of those things that were really important to me. And now years later, I realized that that's just a really great device to keep you on track and live true to yourself in a world that feels like it just constantly pulls you away from who you really are. So for me, the bucket list has been that tool that brings me back as a reminder and and reminds me of those things that are really important to me, not other people. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Light Watkins Show with yours truly, Light Watkins. If this is your first time here, I interview ordinary people just like you and me who've taken extraordinary leaps of faith, often in the direction of their path, their purpose, or their mission. And in doing so, they've been able to positively impact the lives of many others who have heard about their story or who witnessed them in action or who've benefited from their work. My guest today is one of the most inspiring and sought after inspirational speakers in the world on the subjects of mental health and the importance of following your dreams. Mr. Ben Nimpton is back on the podcast. Some of you may recall that we did a deep dive into Ben Nimpton's backstory all the way back on episode three of this podcast. Ben has become known as the bucket list guy. He helped to co-create a popular MTV show called The Buried Life, where he and some of his friends wrote out a list of 100 things that they wanted to do before they die, including playing basketball with former President Barack Obama at the White House back when he was in office, camping at the Playboy Mansion, hosting Saturday Night Live, and on and on. And they hopped on a purple bus, drove around to fulfill their list one item at a time. And every time they were able to successfully check an item off of their list, they would help a stranger check an item off of their personal bucket list. And as you can imagine, it started a movement of people dreaming bigger for themselves as well as for others. And since then, Ben has become a prolific speaker. His passion is in helping other people achieve their dreams, but he wanted to do more than just give talks about it. So he went a step further and he created a manual slash journal to help walk people through step by step in creating their own bucket list and holding them accountable to fulfilling it. When Ben handed me a copy of the bucket list journal, I got a chance to flip through it and I told him, 
I said, dude, this is one of the most powerful books I've ever held in my hands because it literally has the power to change lives. So we're going to talk about the bucket list journal and what led Ben to creating it. And of course, we're going to review Ben's backstory for those of you who are not familiar. But I also highly recommend re-listening to the full episode three, where we talk about his origin story. And we're also going to discuss the topics of mission, purpose, why you shouldn't seek permission before you leap in the direction of your purpose, why you should go for impossible goals as opposed to realistic goals. And of course, we also talk about mental health, which Ben is an outspoken advocate for. So without further ado, let us dive into our conversation with Mr. Ben Nempton. Ben Nimpton, welcome back to the podcast. You were actually guest number three on my podcast. And when we first did it, it was called At the End of the Tunnel. And we spent a fair amount of time talking about how you and your peers came up with the bucket list concept. And so it was really wonderful. I actually re-listened to that episode in preparation for this conversation. And I just forgot how amazing it is, man, and inspiring. So now you're back. It's the Light Watkins Show, and you have this new offering to the world called the Bucket List Journal. And you gave me a copy of it when we saw each other the last time in Los Angeles a few couple weeks ago. And it was love at first sight. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I immediately invited you back onto the podcast. I think you're probably the second or third returning guest that I've had. And so I'm excited to dive into the backstory of the of the journal and also some other subjects that I wanted to talk about, such as the concept of death, because your whole thing is what do you want to do before you die and taking big leaps of faith and purpose. I really want to talk about purpose as well. But anyway, welcome back mm-hmm. to the show. Thank you, Mr. Watkins. It's good to be back here. Good to see your face and it's good to hang out in, in LA. Miss you out here, but happy to see you thriving, jumping all over the world and just doing what you do. So thank you. Thanks, man. So listeners, if you guys check out the first episode with Ben, you'll hear the whole backstory. And where we leave off that conversation, we're talking a little bit about your public speaking career and kind of how it started with those ESL students, you and Duncan, (laughs) I think we're going around to universities and giving those keynotes to people who barely spoke English English, or they were learning how to speak English, right? Which is a great, um, a great place to start (laughs) because, but you have a more receptive audience. And if they can't understand what you're saying totally, then that's, that's okay. (laughs) You get more leeway with those types of engagements. So that was, yeah, that was the very beginning. That was back in Victoria, British Columbia, right after the first road trip that we did, where we really thought this was just going to be a two week road trip. And then that was going to be it. And, but it just organically continued to grow from there. The other aspect to your story, and it's funny because if you see enough movies and you're paying really close attention, well, I've also studied screenwriting before. I'm not a screenwriter. I just was curious about the art form. But you start to see the same patterns, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. What delineates Act 2 and Act 3 is it looks like the hero of the story has found their calling, has found their purpose, but then something happens And they end up in like the worst position ever. And it looks like the whole thing is pretty much done. And then the whole third act is about how they get this miraculous chance to 
go and fulfill that purpose. And they have to kind of take a leap of faith in that direction. And that essentially is what has been happening in almost all of the people that I've interviewed in this mm-hmm. podcast, because it's all about people who started movements, who found their calling, who've taken leaps of faith. And you guys had something similar too. after your first two tours and you put all your money into that documentary and you turn down this potentially lucrative television show mm-hmm. and then cut to you're moving back into your home with your parents. Right. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that experience and how you kind of got back into the semi-depressed state, but you saw it coming this time and you were able to kind of employ some of the tools and resources Mm -hmm. that you learned along the way that you may not have even realized they were going to come in handy at that time. And then now you're like, what is the second most famous motivational speaker in the world or something like that? But definitely not the most second most famous, but I did, uh, but I did, but I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not close to that, but I did get on a list of top motivational speakers, which was very cool to see, to be on the same, uh, any list with Tony Robbins and Simon Sinek. So that was a very cool moment. But I think dating back to the beginning, and for those that don't know the story, it, it, very quickly, Three friends and I in college set on a road trip to make a film about a bucket list and helping other people achieve their bucket list items. And it started to get its own momentum and people wanted to help. And then other people wanted help with their dreams. So we just kept doing it and it grew. And then we got offered a television show, but we wanted to maintain creative control and we weren't going to be in control of the creative for the show. So we turned it down and we kept raising money and filming. And then we ran out of money. And then we realized we didn't have enough money to finish our documentary that we had started. And then we realized that we had blown a big opportunity by turning down a television show. And I had dropped out of school and I started to get quite down and and depressed. And I, as you said, moved back into my parents' house. I started working at a bar. I didn't even know how to bartend. (laughs) I, I was just kind of figuring out, trying to put the pieces back together. And the part of the story that I also just mentioned is this all began out of quite a dark place. I go into it in in our previous conversation, but back before this whole road trip began, I got really depressed in my first year at university. And I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. And it just kind of built up and built up. And I hit my first mental health crisis in my first year. I had a scholarship. I was on the under 19 national rugby team. And so that was probably the scariest time of my life. I had never experienced anything like this. But I came out of that. And as you said, I learned things about myself. And so the next time it happened, I was a little bit more aware of what I needed to be healthy. I had a bit of a support network. I had a counselor that I'd been talking to at school. I wasn't so ashamed about talking about it in general to my friends because I'd finally opened up to my friends and realized that I wasn't the only one that had been experiencing some of these things. So I was a little bit freed up to talk about it. And I had support around me. And I also had learned some things about myself. I knew that if I started losing sleep. I I better pay attention. You know, something wasn't right and I needed to slow down or I needed to take time for myself. I needed to look at what was going on. So I did have that awareness and I think that helped through that second dip. And if I look over the past, you know, 15, 20 years, I still go through dips, but each time I think it's a little less intense just because as you said, like you start to learn a little bit more about yourself and you build your toolbox of habits and things that you know are good for you. So at that point, we were really down because we had given up this big opportunity to do a show. But luckily, you know, I leaned on the three other guys and we were able to kind of pick one another up when the other person felt down. And we 
we kept taking small steps forward. And I ended up meeting someone that knew some people in LA and on a whim, I flew down to LA and started meeting people and ultimately put together a pilot and pitched the show. And that got us back on our feet because we ended up selling the show, but it was definitely a long journey. And I think that one, the understanding that you're going to go through some more downs in your life is important because you just know that that's inevitable. That's part of the human experience. And two, the understanding that each time you do go through something, you're sort of building up your resilience in a way, you know, like you go through battle and you come out with some scars, but you've like, you know, what works. And so that's how I feel about it. And you also see the signs earlier. And I think that awareness is also really important because as you get older, you just start to learn more about yourself. And the big goal is to learn about yourself so you can be more true to yourself so that you can live more intentionally and be that version of yourself. That's more authentic because I feel like that's where you make your most impact. And in a funny way, that's what this whole project has been about, is about coming back to who you truly are. And I didn't realize this when we started this, but in the beginning, I got depressed because I think I wasn't living the life I wanted. I was living the life I thought others expected of me or or what I thought others wanted for me. And so my bucket list was, it was a reminder of those things that were really important to me. And now years later, I realized that that's just a really great device to keep you on track and live true to yourself in a world that feels like it just constantly pulls you away from who you really are. So for me, the bucket list has been that tool that brings me back as a reminder and and reminds me of those things that are really important to me, not other people. What are some of the telltale signs that you're living true to yourself? This is really interesting because this is what I've felt lately. I feel like when you're living true to yourself, your life rolls out in front of you with ease. And I feel like there's a natural momentum to your life. Things are clicking. I find that when I'm living true to myself, life starts to happen for me. It's like I'm going downstream and I see little opportunities and I jump on those little opportunities and they lead to more opportunities. It feels like I'm in flow. I guess that's another way of describing it. And when things start to be really hard for me, like, and I don't quite understand why, It's like all these little things happen. I'm like, why are these things so hard for me right now? You know, and there's something in my life that I'm not paying attention to. I'm not being true to like, whether it's a relationship that I'm in that isn't true to me, or I'm not being authentic to myself or it's something that I'm doing in work that I'm forcing something. And so I have noticed it's a little bit woo woo, but I have noticed that when I am really true to my gut, I know I'm on the right path when I see things line up in a way that's serendipitous. What are some of the signs of not being true? Because you've had that experience as well, where you weren't true to yourself. So is it possible to know that in the moment? And if so, how? I think if you have the uh, awareness. So here's the signs that I noticed that are telltale signs for me, for not living true to myself. I feel as though I'm not hitting my true potential. I'm not able to be the full expression of myself. I start to have trouble sleeping. I feel like I'm in a fog. Things feel hard. And I'm not being who I want to be for other people, for friends. I'm not being the friend I want to be that I know I should be. I'm not being the partner I know that I should be to my partner. Like I don't have the capacity to do that. When I feel like I am living true to myself, I feel like I have the capacity to be that person that I know I am, that I want to be, that, you know, who I truly am. And it all comes easily. So it's a really interesting question. And it's something that I've noticed in the past that 
I'm the type of person that struggles with depression. And I've also noticed that part of my struggles comes from when I'm doing something in my, in my life that, that, I mean, this sounds simple, but that makes me unhappy. So if I'm, if I'm working on something or there's a, there's a relationship that is not the right relationship. And so now I've realized that when I start to lose sleep, which is the first sign for me, because that's when my mind keeps going. And I have this anxiety that comes out at night and that keeps my mind going. So I can't sleep. So when I start to lose sleep, I need to look at what part of my life is, is not aligned. And that's my first indicator. Like we said earlier, you're now known as one of the most gifted, talented, motivational speakers. But before that, I think you had a production company or something like that. Like when I first met you, you had some yeah. production company in Venice. And now you're like full-time motivational speaker. But I would imagine that if we had this conversation back then, you would have said having that production company was part of your dream or purpose. I don't know. Was that the case? Or how did you know it was time to transition out of that and, and go all in on, on, on keynote speaking? I started to get depressed. <laughs> I did. I did. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was, you know, I realized that the production was not what I thought it was going to be. I love the creative process. I didn't like the business of the production. I didn't love the, the people I was interacting with all the time and it was draining me. And so it turned out to be something that I didn't love. And as a result, I started just to get totally flattened by it to the point where we were starting to succeed in, because we were just grinding and we, we got some investment. And then I told my partner, I said, guys, I'm not the guy to run this. I don't think I can do this anymore. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just know, I, I just knew I couldn't do that. And I, at the time, serendipitously, I'd done a TEDx talk and someone had seen it and contacted their speaker agent. And the speaker agent reached out to me and asked me if I wanted to come speak at this event. And I said, sure, because I was in transition and then it that blossomed into what I'm doing now. And then I started to see this momentum. Then I started to see this ease. Everything started clicking and I realized that I needed, it didn't need to be as hard as I thought. I didn't need to have a perfect plan. I just needed to follow the momentum and follow the energy. And so when I leaned into that, that's when things started to unravel. And I realized that I had made such a important choice and it's, Interesting that I, you asked me what, what I'm doing next week. And I told you I'm going back to Canada to celebrate the life of my uncle who passed away during COVID. And in this transition, I called this uncle and he was a producer for his whole career. And he was 70 years old at the time and he had just retired. And in his retiring age, he had decided that his next stage of life, he was going to be a stand-up comedian at 70 mm. <laughs> because it's something he'd always wanted to do. And he wished he had done it earlier, but this is, and so I talked to him, I said, listen, I'm torn up about this. I've spent the last three years building this production company. It's finally quote unquote working. We've got the investment. I can't do it anymore. And I don't want to start again. And he said, well, you're not starting again. You're recycling your career. You're taking everything that you've learned so far as a producer, and you're going to pivot and do your next thing. You're not starting from the bottom. You're just pivoting. Mm-hmm. And that idea of recycling my career and using the skills I've learned versus starting at the first rung of the ladder again was 
empowering enough to make me feel a little more comfortable with making that pivot. And he said, look, everyone should recycle their career whenever they want, because as you grow, you change and your career ambitions might change. Some people continue to stay fired up about what they do their entire career and they continue to stay inspired by it and pivot in in that lane and continue to be more and more excited. And, And some people need to try new things and that's completely normal. That was a meaningful conversation for me with him and around that idea of pivoting to following your true calling. And it's interesting, like the more I think about this, the more I speak about it and talk about it, it becomes really quite simple. And this whole project was inspired by a poem, which you know, is called The Buried Life. And The Buried Life poem, written by an old English poet named Matthew Arnold, who my friend Johnny read this poem in English class back in 2006. And it's what inspired this whole project. But the poem basically talked about the day-to-day bearing what you really want to do. And you have these moments when you're inspired, but life gets in the way, life buries them. And there's this line in the poem that says something along the lines of tracking our true original course. And I've always loved that idea of, you know, we're just trying to track our true original course. And so for me, that true original course is a life where you feel fulfilled and each step of the way, it starts to feel more and more rich and almost easier as you go. That means you're following this path. So anyways, it's funny. The poem was written 150 years ago and we're still feeling these, these same feelings today. Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, You get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is happy. All right, back to the episode. There's a conversation happening online about what it means to be a high value man. Also, one about what it means to be a high value woman, but I want to focus on masculinity right now because... A part of that is the people who are advocates of, you know, this high value man archetype. They say that the most important thing is to be financially abundant. It doesn't matter really what you do 
doesn't matter if you're passionate about it. You know, as long as you're grinding, kind of like what you were describing earlier, you'll eventually break through and you'll hit this financially abundant phase that affords you a level of freedom in all areas, relationship-wise, lifestyle-wise, that you can then give and do things that excite you and whatnot. So when you talk about purpose, how does it sort of align with that? Or are those people sort of not seeing the full picture? Or is it more of a subjective thing? Like, how would you contribute to that conversation? Well, I think that you don't necessarily have to make money from your purpose. Your job Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily need to be the thing that fulfills you. I think that it's really great if it does, but there is a fine line there where you start to go down this path of of doing your purpose as your job and then becomes your business. And it becomes less fulfilling because it turns from something that you love into something that you know needs to make money. And that's a very delicate line to walk. If your passion is photography and all of a sudden you're a professional photographer, well, it becomes very different when you're earning your living taking photos than it does when you go out and you just shoot for fun. And I think that that's something that we don't always think about that is a pitfall of making money from your purpose, you know, doing what you love as your, as your job. I think you, it's important to love what you do, but it doesn't necessarily have to be your purpose and mission. What I do think is that it's important to identify the things that are going to bring you that sense of purpose and make sure that you carve out time for those things because they tend to be the first things that get pushed to the back burner. And they tend to be the first things that you, uh, and also the the biggest things you end up regretting at the end of your life, if you don't do them. So Mm -hmm. that could be something as simple as spending time with your nephew, or it could be something as big as climbing Everest, but those personal passions that they give you that sense of purpose are the the first things to fall through the cracks because there's no deadlines and because there's no accountability. And we think we have all this time to do these things, but we don't. So to get back to your question about, is it the person that just grinds and grinds and makes the money and then can provide or give back? Or I mean, that's sort of a difficult question to answer because I think it depends on what's important to you and what holistically you want in your life. Perhaps the biggest thing in your life is to provide for your family because you love your family the most. And that's what you feel called to do and you need to do. And so then I think that would probably make sense for other people. I think that it's probably important to identify other things that are going to fill them up and and make sure that you protect time to do those things. And because what I found is that is the hardest part. And I think that there's many things we can do to make sure that those don't fall through the cracks. But I think when you think about the top five regrets of the dying, they're not necessarily tied to making money. In fact, Mm -hmm. one of them is I wish I would have worked less. So, you know, you look at the level of the amount of happiness you get from money. I'm going to botch this data, but I think it's around 70 or $75,000 or there's, there's a number we're yeah. up to that number, you you are happier, but you double that and your returns become much less. You get a small percentage increase in happiness every time you double that number. So obviously you need to meet your basic needs. But when you think about this, this tendency that is ingrained in us as humans, which is like, 
you set a goal for a number that you want to make and you hit that goal and you're not celebrating. You're already thinking about how you can make more. You're already thinking about how can I double that? It's just this feeling that we have that we need to continually make more and more when we you sort of look at what really makes you happy and it's it's not going to make you exponentially happier. So that's the two things that I think about is like, how much more happy am I going to get by making more money? Mm-hmm. And how much happier am, am I going to get when I pursue these things that are important to me that are generally pushed to the back burner because I'm trying to make money? Yeah, a couple of things about that. Number one was on the top five regrets, which one is being, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. That was reported by every male that she worked with in their life transition. Number two, Bronnie Ware, who's been on this podcast, she came up with that list as an after effect of just wanting to start a blog. And she didn't really know what to write about. And so she thought about this experience that she had years and years ago, which was the side job while she was trying to be a musician. She was trying to be a musician. This was her side gig working in palliative care. She had no experience in doing it, but she felt, you know, very maternal because she treated everyone like they were her grandmother, according to her. And she turned out to be very good at it, but she never thought in a million years, this is going to be my my purpose, my passion. She was just showing up every day because she liked it. She liked doing it. She liked having these conversations with people. And so she went through this whole period of depression, suicidal ideation, many, many years later. Now she's working at a jail, teaching songwriting, and she needs to make some money. So she's starting up this blog and she thinks to herself, she goes to a conference and they talk about different blog titles. and Oh, you should do top five or top 10 or whatever listicles. And she tries to force herself to think of something to write about. And you said before, success comes when you do what's easy. And so mm-hmm. she kind of thought about, okay, well, let me just write about what I know, because that's the easiest thing to start with. And she mm-hmm. thought, well, I work with these palliative care patients and they all express some regrets at the end. Maybe I'll write about that. Oh yeah. Top five regrets of the dying. And so that's how that came about. And now it's become an often quoted statistic when talking about the subject of death, which I think, which I want us to go into in a moment. But I want to finish talking about this idea of purpose as well. And the question I have for you is, does everybody have a purpose? And if so, how do they hold themselves accountable to that purpose? And I know that's probably going to lead to us talking about the journal as well, because that's one of the intentions behind it is to give you some degree of accountability. But just let's say the journal doesn't exist. How people or how have you been talking about that and thinking about holding yourself accountable to that purpose. I think sometimes purpose is an overwhelming idea. You know, sort of like, mm-hmm. what's the meaning of your life? <laughs> you know, like that's, sort yeah. of, that's a big question to answer. So sometimes I feel as though we shouldn't use our brain. We should use our, our gut or our heart and follow feelings versus our thoughts. Because one of the ways I like to think about purpose is, is how it makes you feel. Does it make, do you feel joy? Do you feel a sense of fulfillment in doing something? And I think that you can have many different purposes based on the many different things that bring you that sense of joy. You know, one of my purposes is to 
be a good friend. And what does that mean? That means spending energy, investing in those relationships, showing up for my friends when I can tell that they need me because they've showed up for me in the past. And, I, and I've realized that when I'm in my darkest moments, there's nothing more important than someone that cares about me showing that they care about me and being there for me in that moment. I just, I just realized that just is one of the most important things you can do in, in, in life. And so one of my things that I want to do is be a good friend. And so that gives me a sense of purpose. And that means that regardless of what I'm doing, I need to make sure that that is a priority. So if I'm doing something and it's important, but then my friend puts up an SOS and they're struggling and I can tell that they need me, then I make sure I drop whatever I'm doing to call them, to show them that, that I'm there. So that's for me, a purpose. Another, you know, so there's, I think it, it can be many different things. And there's another way I like to think about it is like, does it excite you when you think about it? I love the idea of connecting with new people and I love traveling. Like when I think about a trip that I have planned, I get excited, <laughs> you know, like I get butterflies thinking about these exciting trips that I have planned. And so that for me is something that is one of my purposes is to explore. There's also this feeling of what am I curious about? So following curiosity, I think that that can lead to purpose. So I think following feelings is a little less overwhelming as an idea than defining what your purpose is in life or, you know, what are you here to do? And I think that, as you said, you find that by following those roads, just like Bronnie Ware, she didn't sit down and say, my purpose is to figure out the top five regrets of the dying. Mm -hmm. Here we go. I'm going to go into palliative care. I'm going to start my research and I'm going to write a book and I'm going to be the foremost, you know, authority <laughs> on this topic. No, she just started doing it because she liked to do it. And then she realized something that was exciting and interesting to her. So she followed that feeling and then things started to unravel. And then, like I said, she was living true to herself things started to click. She followed that momentum. Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot. You know, when you, when you, when you approach a problem, ask yourself, what would it look like if it were easy? You know, mm -hmm. sometimes we think it's got to be so hard. So you follow that momentum and I think you're living on purpose. Now, this leads us to the problem, which <laughs> is it's hard to continually keep this awareness of living on purpose you know, of following these things that are important to you. Because if you look at the research, that ends up being the biggest regret people have at the end of their life. So this, clearly this is a problem, right? We regret the things we didn't do. The number one regret, this is from research out of Cornell, or there's a psychologist named Tom Gilovich, which is basically the whole journal is based off of this stat that I read where I was totally shook, which found people on their deathbed, 76% of people their biggest regret was not living for them, living for what they thought others expected of them or what they thought others wanted for them, right? So that's messed up. That means that three quarters of the population is living their whole life and they're reaching their deathbed and they're realizing when it's too late that they blew it. So mm -hmm. why does that happen? And this is when you start to look at, okay, what are the problems? Because there's really three big problems. And the first is that there's no deadlines with these personal goals. So that's why we push them. There's no deadlines for me being a good friend. So I need to create accountability around that goal to drive me forward. And what that means is I need a reminder to do it. I need other people keeping me accountable. 
And so just like when you train for a marathon with a partner, you have a higher chance of going through with that marathon. That's an accountability buddy that, that continues to drive you forward. So there's small little things that you can do when you write your bucket list that creates accountability. It seems really small, but you take something that doesn't exist. You make it real. That's a reminder. It exists. You talk about your goals. If I tell you, I'm going to be a good friend to you. I'm more likely to be a good friend to you. Hmm. You know, if I say, listen, I'm going to be there for you. If you need me, I'm more likely to be there for you because I've told you that. And now I feel accountable to you. If I tell you next year, I'm going to write another book. I'm just going to just get another one out there. And, and I'm, that's my biggest goal. And then I run into you in LA and you say, Hey, how's the book coming six months later? And I think, yeah, I better start writing that book. <laughs> so writing down your goals, sharing your goals, having an accountability buddy check in with you, or even better, you send regular updates to someone else, you're 77% more likely to achieve your goal. So, you know, if I would have said, I'm going to write a book, but I'm going to send you an update once a month, let you know how it's going. That really drives you forward. So that's what the bucket list journal is intended to do is to be your accountability buddy, because you write your list, you start to choose your accountability buddy, you set rewards, you set deadlines, you break it down into manageable steps. So, you know, that's the first problem is there's no deadlines and we need to create accountability. So problem is no deadlines, solution, accountability. The second problem is we're usually waiting to feel inspired to tackle these personal projects. And the inspiration rarely hits us out of the blue or we're waiting for the perfect time. You know, we're just planning. We're like, as soon as I'm ready, I'm going to do it. It's got to be perfect. And we over plan. And then we forget that action is a plan. You don't need to have a plan. You just mm -hmm. need to take action. You'll figure out the plan as you go because you create your own inspiration through action. You're not going to feel inspired. You have to create that movement. It's pushing a snowball over a hill. It's got to have that first push to grow that inertia. So this is a really interesting idea because I think most people get stuck before they even begin. They haven't even taken that first step. And that first step is the hardest because it leads you to the third problem, which is fear. And fear happens to be the number one barrier. And it's either the fear of what other people think, or it's the fear of failure. And so when we are waiting to take the first step, a lot of times it's because, but if I do this, what are people going to think? What if they know that I fail? What if they think it's dumb? I don't want to share my goals. Because what if, what if they know that's what I want to do? But the irony is if you don't share your goals, no one can help you. You're completely on your own. So you just have a less chance of accomplishing it. And if you don't start, you don't learn. You don't create your own momentum. And if you unpack what those fears really are, first of all, the fear of what other people think is something that I find difficult. And, and, and I don't think it really goes away. But what I've realized is that I think people are just thinking about me less than I think they are. <laughs> They're not sitting around thinking about me. They're worried about what other people are thinking about them. Or they're also more, this is the big thing, they're more supportive. I don't know if you found this, but like when you share something that is really important to you authentically and passionately, people tend to step up and, and help more than they're like, that's dumb, <laughs> you know? And that's, what we found since day one, when we started Buried Life, we were surprised that people stepped up to help us with our list. And they, they people came out of the woodwork. They would email us from all over the country, then all over the world. They want us to cross everything off our list. And it was crazy. And so if we ask for help, you know, sometimes people will step up. And so 
there's those three barriers. And yeah, I think that there's an awareness there that we need to just be aware of those things so that we can start to overcome those. And if we're not conscious of them, it's obviously much more difficult to overcome them. So talk about the genesis of the bucket list journal. Why was that necessary? Was hearing you not enough? And how were you thinking about structuring this journal so that it's not just another journal that someone has on their bookshelf and they actually will use it for its intended purpose? And I'm thinking specifically of people who may listen to you or may have heard about your story who say, you know what, I don't even know what my purpose is. I don't know if I have a purpose, you know, that kind of thing. Or or even someone like you who was depressed and living as a hermit in your mom's house, like with the journal work in that state? Yeah, so good question. So if I miss one, just bring it up again. So the first piece, why? And the biggest reason was that my friends don't come see me speak because they can't really, because the public can't, unfortunately, come to my talks because they're a lot of them are for companies, for their teams or leadership or associations. And so I found myself doing all my work in a, in a bit of a bubble where it was really meaningful and I loved it. Most people didn't know what I did. <laughs> and also most of the things that I was talking about were not available to anyone that couldn't come to my keynote. So I thought that's not ideal. So I'd want a product that has these ideas in them so that someone that doesn't see the keynote can take the same action and steps and hopefully get the same inspiration from the actual keynotes themselves. I also wanted something for people in the room to take action and a tool that they could use afterwards and take all these ideas and inspiration actually act on them. And basically because the big idea is because I think my purpose is changing that percentage of bringing that 76% of people that die regretting the things they didn't do down (laughs) so that more people are in the minority, even if they don't achieve those goals, but they've tried. And so next up was like, okay, what does this look like? The reason it took so long is because there was no journal out there that I felt I could use as a model because I just, I didn't want it to be the same page repeated and repeated. And I also wanted it to tell my story so that people understood who I was. So they understood why I was doing this, but also they understood the purpose of it and the barriers And I also wanted a framework that people could use so it's easier to write your list. Because I think that when you sit down with a piece of paper, it's a little overwhelming just to think about like, okay, what are all the things I want to do in my life? (laughs) And, And typically you think right away, when you think about a bucket list, you think adventure and travel. At least I did. I was like, you know, the usual suspects, skydive, bungee jump, travel to Europe. And so I started to realize that if this is going to be a reflection of my true self, it better reflect all categories of my life. And so, you know, I kind of did some research and realized there are about 10 categories of life that you want your list to reflect. So the first step is breaking down your list. So you write your list in those 10 categories. So you write your adventure travel goals, but you also write your physical health goals, mental health goals, anything that's going to relieve stress. 
Do you know anything about that? (laughs) (laughs) I've heard about stress. (laughs) Your material goals. Like it's, it's okay to have things that you just want to make you happy, right? Sailboat, new tennis racket, car, you know, Mm -hmm. creative goals, which I think is an often overlooked pillar of wellness. When you're creative, you're, you know, talk about, I love this theme of obviously being your true self. When you're creative, you're expressing this real version of yourself. You're drawing, you're playing music. That's the flow state that you get in when you do something creative. So I think it's important to to remember that. Financial goals, intellectual goals. What do you want to learn? Professional goals. And then giving goals, relationships. That's a big one, right? We talked about being a good friend. One of the Mm -hmm. top five regrets of the dying, as you know, is I wish I would have stayed in contact with friends. It's also, I wish I would have expressed how I really felt, you know, something along Mm -hmm. those lines. Again, all these things don't cost any money, but we should identify what those mean to us so that we don't have any of those regrets. So thinking about the format of this was like, okay, how do I piece all this together so that it makes sense? And I just sort of thought like, what do I do? Well, first let's break down the list of these 10 categories. So it's a little more digestible to write, you know, and there's like prompts of like, here's some ideas. Here's my favorite list item in this category. And then it's starting to just identify what those barriers are. So you describe those things that I described, no deadlines, mm-hmm. waiting for inspiration and the fear. And so hopefully then these exercises that you do next start to make sure that you can move through those barriers. So the whole journal is designed to get you over those three barriers. So then you start to break down your goals, as I said, and build that accountability identify the real fear and the imagined fear. And it was important that it was kind of a nice book. I mean, I think it's kind of beautiful, but I think it's important that you write your list in a place that you keep and you kind of cherish because you only need one. This will grow as you grow. So you continue to to want to come back to it. So it's great to have it as a piece of paper, but eventually the piece of paper will might get lost, gets ripped. But if you have a nice book, then you're going to continue to hopefully use it and, and update it. And as you grow, your list grows. And so there's also like free journaling space at the back. There's some quotes that I think get you thinking about different things. So that was the process. So for each item, you have people state why the goal is important to them. You have them list a reward that they will give themselves once they achieve the goal. You have them state the date that they will achieve it by. You have them list out a few small steps they can take to move forward. And then any obstacles that they foresee getting in the way. So do you have any case studies of people who've actually implemented this and someone who's achieved a goal that you thought was pretty cool? There's actually a cool story of a guy who he just sent me an email and he listed off all these He's like, oh, since I saw you last, I got my pilot's license. I went through the Grand Canyon. I camped in the Colorado Rockies. I, he's a CEO of a company, you know, and he's, mm-hmm. and he's, I just, I'm on Saturday, I'm taking my parents to their dream vacation in the Caribbean. They've always wanted to go. He said, and I've looked for ways to help other people, small mm-hmm. ways. I picked someone up on the side of the road when their car was broken down. I volunteered for the local legion. I think that was the coolest part was just that intentionality of wanting to help other people. So giving is one of the categories of of life. 
And so again, we get swept up. And so anything we can do to sort of live more intentionally to who we are and what we want is a win. I read a statistic saying that you're 42% more likely to achieve a goal if you write it down. Was that part of the thinking behind the journal as well? Getting people to actually put yeah. it on paper? Yeah, exactly. If you just sort of step back and you think about it, you may feel like, okay, is this is writing down your goals really actually going to do anything? You're not actually taking a step towards what that thing is. Mm. But let's just like take a step back. Okay, so you you, you stop, you, you, you write down your goal. Well, first of all, you stop. And that's one of the most important things. You force yourself to reflect. So in a world where 76% of the population, their biggest regret is not living for them. <laughs> it's sure important that we take time to reflect and make sure we are on our true course. So just that as a reason to write your list is probably enough. And then you articulate in some way, you're, you're, you're moving it forward by taking an idea that doesn't exist and now it's on paper. As you get buried by the day-to-day, you come back to your list and it's pointing you in the direction that you know you want to go because you've taken the time to think about what's important. So you've kind of memorialized it on a piece of paper. Now it's your compass pointing you in that, that true North. It's not going to make you achieve the goal, but any way that you can create accountability. And I think it's different for everyone. And I think it's important to figure out what works for you. Some people, it might be putting it in your calendar. Some people, it might be an accountability buddy. If you think about it though, accountability works. That's pretty much all we have driving us forward in the professional space at our jobs, right? Leaders, their job is to keep us accountable. Salary keeps us accountable. We don't want to let down our teams. That keeps us accountable. We don't want to look bad. That keeps us accountable. We can create those same structures around our personal goals. And I think that's the big goal. Yeah. Famously, you and the Barry Life crew wrote as one of your initial goals before you had any production deals, you know, people were living each other's in people's basements and whatnot. You wrote as a goal, we're going to play basketball with President Obama at the White House. And it was a little bit up and down, didn't look like it was going to happen. And then it eventually happened. And it's a great story. So when people are filling out their goals in the bucket list journal, how should they think about the probability of achieving goals? Because I've also heard you say you should go for impossible goals because everybody's going for the easy stuff. So talk about that a little bit. I like the idea of the fact that most people inherently don't believe that they can do great things. This is actually also, I believe, from Tim Ferriss, which is that people are shooting for realistic goals which means level of competition is highest for realistic goals. So if you shoot for unrealistic goals, there's less competition. <laughs> but I think that it's important to also note that a big goal isn't better than a small goal. I like to encourage people to go after big dreams if it's true to them, if that's something mm. they really want to do, not just for the sake of doing a big goal because it's a monster goal, but if you have a big dream hidden buried inside you. I think it's important that you unearth that and see where that goes. And the litmus test for that to know if something is true to me or not is the fact that I've been thinking about it for a long time, or when I do think about it, it makes me feel expansive or what's your thinking on that? I like using my deathbed. I like using my future self. I picture myself on my deathbed and I ask myself, 
will I regret not doing this? And if the answer is yes, then I think that it's a, it's a fairly good indication that you should try. I do like the idea of talking to your 90 year old self as much as possible because it's not as far off as you think, right? We think we have all this time, but you hear from a lot of folks that are older, how quickly life seems to go. And you can experience in your own life, how much life seems to move faster and faster as you get older. And I think that for me personally, I don't internalize the fact that I'm going to die enough. And I try to do that more. You know, I have a, an app on my phone that reminds me I'm going to die five times a day <laughs> with a quote, which I thought it actually wasn't going to be effective, but it kind of works. It's called We Croak. It's sort of <laughs> elementary, but it's, it's kind of a cool idea. But I mean, you hear this a lot. I had cancer and, and everything changed, or I lost my father or my partner. And after that, my whole perspective shifted. So why does it take a trauma that is so crippling to shake us into perspective? Can we have that same shift and what can we wake up without having to go through that experience? And so I think one of the only ways to do that is to really keep death close to you. And that's why we asked ourselves the question, what do you want to do before you die? That, that was the center of the whole project. The bucket list came from that question, right? When we asked ourselves that question, and really sat with it and said, okay, we're going to die. The only thing we can count on in this life is that we're going to die. So if that's the only constant, what do we want to do in our life? And so the answers to that question was the bucket list. So I think that that is the big goal is to figure out how can you keep that perspective? Because it's very easy to get swept up by life and forget about that. And if you look at a image of the weeks that we have in our life, you know, you can see it in a, it's this little block of squares and you think there's no way that's the number of weeks. By, by uh, the guy who does, what is it called? The why? I've seen um, it a couple of different places. Tim, Tim, something or another. He does yeah. something about why. Anyway, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. 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 It's shocking. And he talks about, he talks about how when you really break it down to the average 30,000 days that a human lives, and you're in your 40s, right? You you have like 20 more summers or you have like 30 more times you're probably going to see your parents if you only see them once or twice a yeah. year. And, and it gives you real perspective. But to extrapolate this idea of death, I know you're not the authority on this, but what's your personal view on what happens after you die? Mm. <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What's your feeling? Like if you could, you had a magic wand, what would you like to? I don't think you go away. Mm -hmm. I think that your spirit lives on, you know, your essence lives on. I, I don't know what it looks like, but I think that that spirit continues, but I, I don't know if you're going to come back and have another go at it, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? So I, I think that that would be a pleasant surprise for me. And so I'm going to continue to act like this is, there's no dress rehearsal. And this is, this is the one that I have. And when I was younger, I would, I remember one of my first existential crises was I was like maybe nine or seven or something. And I just remember sitting by myself and thinking, 
that you died forever and that that lasted forever. And I, I couldn't get my mind around that idea that you were just, that was forever was forever. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if like that was the first time I started thinking about death, but I just find it interesting that when I see someone in their nineties and they're, they're walking down the street and they're shuffling along and, you know, maybe they're hunched over with a cane and, you know, mm-hmm. moving very slowly. And I don't think that will be me, mm-hmm. not for a second. And that is the only thing I can count on. If I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, I'll, I'll live to 90. <laughs> I can walk out tomorrow and be gone. But that's interesting. That that's not what you think when you see that, because it's the only thing you can count on, you know, unless someone like Elon has us living forever you know, or whatever. But I feel like if we really internalize that and you, and you looked at those number of weeks you have left and you look at the summers you have left and you look at the number of times you get to see your parents before they get too old and you could remind yourself of that. I don't have the best answer, but that would be the goal because the thing about death is it cuts through all the BS, you know, it just, it just like, I like to try and think about if I'm upset about something, I like, I like to think about, am I even going to remember this in five years, let alone on my deathbed and nine times out of 10, not only am I not going to be pissed about it, I won't even remember it. And so that helps put things in perspective, but it's a hard thing to do. It's super hard. So you're the bucket list guy, right? You, you <laughs> check more things off of your list than probably, you know, 10 people could check off in an entire lifetime. <laughs> what is there left for you? Or is your biggest item on that list to facilitate other people's bucket list experience? Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I mean, I think that you're, you're onto something. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I think that my, Sure. There's, there's still a lot of things that I want to do. Like what? And I'd like to do something in space. I would like to finish the film, the buried life documentary mm-hmm. that we've been filming since day one. And uh, well, you said, as soon as you guys get to space, that's going to be the perfect close yeah, to the film, right? I think so. Yeah. And so we are, I'm actually a bit, made a bit of progress talking with worldview. Who's sending these pods up to space, the edge of space. Mm-hmm. And they're going to send one up in 2024. And I spoke, I didn't, I, I moderated a panel at South by about the democratization of space travel, because there are a lot of companies coming out and they are bringing the price down. So not just billionaires can go to space. And the reason why I want to do it for the most part, is that I'd like to experience the overview effect, which is this experience astronauts have when they're in space and they're looking down on earth and you feel this sense of oneness with the earth. And this affinity to humanity, which would be pretty ex- extraordinary. So I'd love to, I think that would create a cool ripple effect. So, and as well, I think the documentary would create a very meaningful ripple effect so that people could see the story and hopefully like the endless summer type of film where you could watch it and just get that feeling of that jolt of energy and inspiration that we felt on that, you know, those first road trips where we're just like magic happened, you know, talk about things happening 
serendipitously. That's all the buried life was, right? It was just people would just show up and help us do all these things. And it all just was this, you know, road where of course we had to work and there was a lot of bumps in the road, but like we knew that there was something special and that's what kept us going. So yeah, space and and film. And and then ultimately, as you said, figuring out the cool ways to share this message and idea. And I think too, like trigger people, hopefully in a way similar to a near-death experience or the death of a loved one to sort of get that jolt of like, okay, it's never too late. Because the truth is a year from now, you're going to wish you had started today, but you Mm -hmm. feel like it's too late. We'll cut to 12 months from now. You're going to look back and be like, damn it. I wish I would have started. It's never a good time to start. I heard a podcast with uh, Stephen Pressfield, the guy who wrote The War of Art. Mm -hmm. He was talking to someone who had started this, or maybe he was relating this anecdote, but some guy started this this nonprofit that was going to give late-stage cancer patients an outlet to do what they've always dreamt of doing. And so, you know, one lady wanted to paint. So he got her enrolled in some painting classes. Somebody else wanted to learn how to ride a horse. Somebody else wanted to start to become a florist or something like that. And what they found, what they found unsurprisingly was that when these people started fulfilling their goals, their bucket list items, a lot of the times their cancer went into remission (laughs) and they ended up living a lot, a lot longer. So what you're talking about is, is one of the pillars of healthcare. Cause especially nowadays, man, with like holistic medicine, you know, people say, Oh, I can't sleep at night. First thing they want to do is give you some magnesium and this and that, but nobody really asks, are you doing what makes you happy? Are you, are you fulfilling your dream? I think you nailed it. So what's, so I'm reading man's search for meaning Victor Frankl's book. First time, second time. But it was a while ago, the first time. So that's kind of similar, right? When he's talking about the people that made it through the concentration camps, they had a purpose. They had a why, right? And once they lost that, they died. And he was the doctor there at the camps. And so what you said reflects that as well, living with purpose. Because you have that, like, why am I here? And I think that there's another conversation, which is kind of interesting around the way that we look at seniors and we feel, and there's this narrative that they're over the hill. I think that the senior population, and I've spoken to a lot of senior communities, and I think this, that we always say the youth are going to change the world. I, also, I think the seniors can change the world because they have the experience. They have the time. They have the wisdom, the, the disposable income. They have the connections. And so if we're able to enable these folks to find that purpose, because once you get to the, and you retire, that's your purpose is your job for the most, a lot of people, right? And once you lose that, it's sort of like you fish out of water. So I think purpose is incredibly important for longevity and well-being. And, and when I talk about a resilience toolkit or my, my mental health toolkit, which are, you know, what we talked about in the beginning of the podcast which are the habits that work for me to increase, allow me to get through stress. And purpose is one of those things because right. I think, I think it's super important. And there's, if, if you want to, I do have that as a, as a download on my Instagram, if you want to look at the, the mental health toolkit. 
Let's wrap up the conversation talking about, I think, one of the stickiest topics. Whenever somebody's inspired to, to take on something like this, a bucket list or a buried life initiative or get the journal, what have you, but they're in a relationship and yeah. their partner's not really bought into it. So that creates some friction. How, how does one navigate a situation like that? Well, great question. That is a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of different ways to approach it. I think first and foremost is communicating to that person what is truly important to you so mm-hmm. that they know and they can understand why this is important to you and hopefully then support you to do that thing. I think that then it's a question of, is this person supporting you to be that true version of yourself, the the person that you know that you want to be? And that is a longer conversation. And I think it's a very, sometimes you're with someone that, that, that enables you to be that person. And sometimes you are, and then it gets to the point where you feel like you're not. And so I think it's important to talk about that at that point, because One of the biggest things that I learned very early on, completely by accident, was the importance of surrounding yourself with people that inspire you and that give you energy. And the buried life began out of that choice because I intentionally called up a friend named Johnny, who is a filmmaker, and asked him if he wanted to make a movie because I wanted to be around people that inspired me. And I thought that his videos that he was making was super inspiring. And ultimately that led me down the path that I am today. And I continue to do that, whether it's friends or with partners. So I, you know, I think that it's important that you try and be aware of how people are making you feel. And if they're not giving you energy or they're not inspiring you, that's completely okay. But I do think it's important that you start a conversation and figure out, okay, what's going on here? Why am I not feeling like I can be who I am? Why do I feel like I'm being held back in this relationship? And ideally, you're with someone that makes you more who you are versus less of who you are. And I think we've all been in relationships that make us feel less of who we are. And that's a hard place to be. And it's also a difficult thing to decipher. Why is am I not feeling like myself? You know, why do I feel contained or why do I feel like, and so sometimes that's communication. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important that you talk about it. Or if you're able to talk with a couples therapist, I think that's incredibly helpful because sometimes you just need that third party, that perspective, because you're living in your bubble, your partner's living in their bubble, and there's a lot of misses. <laughs> so if you have someone there as a grounding source of fact, <laughs> I think that's been helpful for me because you have that stable sounding board. And so I think the biggest thing is to talk about it if you're having that feeling. And I do think it's also really important to figure out what is your list together? What are your goals as a couple, as a family? You know, I hear amazing stories of people starting summer family bucket lists, of starting couples bucket lists. This is an important conversation to have because you're unearthing the most important things to you and your partner. So let's talk about it and let's figure out, let's get aligned on those things. And if we don't want to do the same thing, that's okay. But know that this is important to me and I want to move towards this thing. 
And I'm going to support you to do the things that make you who you are and support you to be that person. And like, for instance, if something it's like introvert versus extrovert, as an extrovert, I get energy from being out with friends and dinners and social things. If my partner is not, then it's like, we understand that. And I can go and I can go out and it's okay that she stays home and does the things that fill her up, which may be more introverted, but it starts with a conversation. Beautiful. Final question here. You made a choice to self-publish this book, which is a little bit interesting because you're a best-selling author. And obviously, it wouldn't be that difficult to get relationships with publishers. You're speaking to tens of thousands of people. So talk about the thinking behind that in case somebody else is listening to this and and they may be inclined to want to publish a book, self-publish or publish through a publisher. So I decided to self-publish one because of the quality that I knew now I could create a book that was as high quality as it would be with a publisher, which I think hasn't necessarily been the case for years past. And I also realized that I was going to be the sole source of distribution through my speaking engagements, selling to you know anyone that wanted to buy it online. I didn't really care about brick and mortar as much, selling it in bookstores. I knew that I could figure out how to sell it on Amazon myself and I could figure out how to make it on my own. Although it was a much bigger lift than I thought, as I've talked with you about manufacturing something overseas, the shipping, distribution, you know, all those things were completely new to me and it was a beast, but I had full and still have full control and I'm super proud of the way that it turned out. And I think the quality is the same as it would be through a publisher. And now I I know all about logistics. (laughs) No, I know all about manufacturing. Now, anyway, I, you know, I created a product from beginning to end, which I think is a, it is a accomplishment for me because it's my first one that I've done on my own. And so I like the fact that I am in control of it from beginning to end and, And it was definitely something that I wanted to do on my own. You also have said that now that you've done the whole bucket list thing for a while, you never see things as impossible anymore. So you're very careful about saying what you want to do and what you don't want to do, because you know you can do it if you put in the work, the tension and focus. Where can people get the book or how, how do you recommend people get the book? Probably the easiest is on Amazon. If you search bucket list journal, it'll pop right up. There's only one bucket list journal. There's only one now. (laughs) Yeah, no, it had a good release. So it hit number one on Amazon. And now it's just number one when you search Bucket List Journal. And you can also get it through bucketlistjournal.co, which is the website. Those are the best two places. But I recommend, especially if you're outside of the US, than than Amazon, because I think it's better shipping and logistics and that type of thing. So that's the best place. Let me know how it goes. I, I love to see people's lists and, and their stories of, of what they go after. So it's fun for me to, to get those updates. Do you have any trending hashtags that we can look up to see what people are doing for their bucket list or anything like that yet? Not yet, but let's start bucket list journal as a hashtag. That's a- <laughs> <laughs> I, better get, I better get on that right now. <laughs> Awesome. And final, final question. How are you thinking about success these days now that you've come out with this journal? 
Success is sleeping through the night. <laughs> mm. I have trouble sleeping when I'm stressed out. If I'm sleeping through the night, I'm not stressed out. That means it's a win. I like that as a measure of success. And my other measures of success come down to feeling like my life is in that state of, of flow and that fulfillment. And that includes taking time for me, taking time to invest in my friends, do the things that are important to me. And so those are the big things for me right now, you know, giving back in the way that I like to give back, which is speaking and, and firing people up around this idea and make sure I take a bit of time for me, which has been tricky lately, but that's, you know, everyone's a work in progress. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Well, thank you so much for coming back onto the podcast, for sharing so vulnerably and openly and for showing up and for providing this wonderful offering to the world, the Bucket List Journal. It's exciting. I, I have one. It's beautiful. And as I said to you, when you first gave it to me and I got a chance to really look at it, I said, this can really change lives. This is a very, very powerful, probably one of the most powerful books that I've ever possessed because it's all meant to be filled with one's own desires. And once you write them down, I know for myself, once I write them down, I'm committed. So it's powerful stuff. So thank you very much for that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. That means a lot. Thank you. And we'll see each other hopefully very soon. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Ben Nimpton. If you're not already, make sure to follow Ben on social media at Ben Nimpton. That's B-E-N-N-E-M-T-I-N. You can grab a copy of the Bucket List Journal for yourself and maybe grab a few for your friends on Amazon. And of course, we'll put everything in the show notes, link wise and otherwise, which you can find at lightwatkins.com slash show. If this is your first time listening to the show, we've got an incredible archives of interviews from past guests such as Ed Milet and movie director Ava DuVernay and spoken word artist Saul Williams and chef Marcus Samuelson and many others who share how they found their path, their purpose and their mission. You can also search past episodes by subject matter at lightwatkins.com slash show. You'll see a drop down menu at the top of the page where you can search by subjects such as people who've taken a leap of faith, people who've overcome financial struggles, people who've navigated health challenges in case you're experiencing one of those and you want to hear some inspirational stories of how other people got to the other side. So again, all of that is at lightwatkins.com slash show. You can also watch these interviews on my YouTube channel and you can hear the raw, unedited, uncut version of these interviews on my Happiness Insiders community. That's at thehappinessinsiders.com. We release the episodes there a day before they actually get released to the rest of the world. And you also will have access to my 108-day meditation challenge and 108-day movement challenge. Again, go to thehappinessinsiders.com for more information about that. One way to support the show is to leave a rating or review for the podcast if you haven't already done so. People say that. I know you've heard it a thousand times, but it's actually very easy to do. You're probably already listening to this podcast on the Apple Podcast app on your device. So the way you leave a rating is you just look down 
at the screen and you click on the purple name of the show. So it's a purple link and it'll show you the past episodes. And then after like seven or eight of the past episodes, you'll see five blank stars. All you have to do is tap the one on the right and you've left a rating. And if you want to go the extra mile, which of course we always appreciate, you can type out a couple of lines about what you personally like about this show. What that does is when someone is searching through the podcast app looking for a certain genre of podcast, such as an inspirational podcast or a wellness themed podcast, these episodes will rise up higher in that search result. So if you want other people to enjoy these, that's how you can help make that happen. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week for another story about someone just like me and you taking a leap of faith in the direction of their purpose. Until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, keep taking those leaps of faith. Super important. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.